getting good press from you know metal injection metal sucks pitchfork rolling stone like those you know those sort of organic things happened which we were lucky that they happened but i think that believing in that record and putting it out ourselves really with modern static records our friends um you know then then people wanted to work with us and you know uh but it came from believing in ourselves first and foremost. But now we have awesome management. Welcome to Vanzig Studios Music Podcast, Rock and Roll for Airheads. Mickey Squeeze here. I am a guitar player for Misfit Saints and Midnight Mob. And uh, this podcast is a music podcast, just talking to musicians, talking to people that record musicians, talking to people that work with musicians. Uh, and Carly and I just basically just look for new music and kind of just want to talk about it and just put another you know footprint out there for people uh for bands to get their music heard and maybe create some sort of community uh for all things vanzik studios you can get vanzikstudios.com you can find vanzik studios on spotify um i created a fan account on Bandcamp recently and uh you know twitter and instagram and all sorts of other shit uh, but the main hub is vanzikstudios.com and if you want to be on the podcast or having some involvement with the podcast hit me up at airheads at vanzikstudios.com Today's phone call is with guitar player Nick Lee. He's a guitarist from the band Moontooth uh, and is someone we've known for a long-ass time. Moontooth's in their 10th year. They just played Gramercy Theater uh, in um, New York City. Their band is on the up and up. Huge. They've got amazing management now. Uh, Nick Lee shares his experiences working with The Machine and uh, Mark Morton from Lamb of God on the Crux album that came out their last full length that came out and also just talks about all the new music that's coming out you can check out uh one of the newer songs the conduit and their new album is going to come out this spring 2022 uh the best way to really describe you know Moontooth is it's kind of like a lot of people say mastodon um and i would say mastodon mixed with a little dime bag mixed with maybe a little hint of king's x kind of sort of stuff in there uh, Nick Lee is a monster fucking guitar player. The band is crazy fucking talented, amazing songwriters. Uh, they really know how to pack in a whole lot of awesome shit into a nice, tight songwriting uh, kind of experience. They Their band is getting you know, bigger and bigger. Uh, Nick Lee also tours with the band Riot over in Europe from time to time. Um, so he's been all around the world with that band doing massive festivals. He talks about his experiences doing that as well. And he's a Long Island native. I mean, currently resides in Beacon, New York. He moved there. But uh, we've known Nick Lee and drummer Ray Marte forever since before um, Moontooth. They were in this band called Exemption out here in Massapequa, Long Island. And uh, we were all part of like a little scene over here. And we used to teach, uh, I used to teach guitar at a... Massapequa um, sh- uh, music store called Sashra Music and uh, Nick Lee was also a guitar, play- uh, guitar teacher over there and I believe Ray was also teaching drums and um, Catastrophe who is the original drummer of Midnight Mob he was also a drum teacher over at that place as well and uh, that's how we everyone kind of got started through Sashra Music so we have a long history with, with them I'm super happy to see them killing it the way they are and their ceiling is so goddamn high um and i'm just really really excited for all the opportunities that they're gonna have in the future i know they're gonna be on some big ass fucking shows and uh they're humble super humble super talented and um 
there's a whole lot of power in this band. So the band's Moontooth. Moontooth.org is the website. Moontooth on Bandcamp. Uh, and uh, Moontooth on Spotify and on Instagram. Uh, Moontooth Shreds, I believe, is their Instagram handle. And uh, without further ado, we'll be talking to Nick Lee. Oh, also, uh, before I forget, you're going to hear some weird audio fuckiness. Um, so in the beginning of the uh, phone call, there's a uh, really good clarity. And then all of a sudden shit gets uh, funky and it sounds like I'm kind of out of a radio. I had to switch to AirPods. So originally we were using this program called Zencaster and it was working great. But then um, something was going on with the headphones and Carly couldn't get involved. So we had to switch over to the Anchor app and you could hear a big difference in the clarity. Um, we're going to try to use Zencaster more often in the future, but we just got to practice with it a little bit more and kind of figure things out a little bit. All right. Now we talk to Nick Lee. And I think I, I appreciate uh, asking me to come on. That's cool. Oh, for sure. And yeah, I for sure. I haven't gotten to see you guys or talk to you in a really long time. Dude, it's been like forever, man. Are you guys uh, like, Are you guys still on Long Island? Yeah. So we're in this same area. No no change from every, anything we've been doing. Um it's so funny though that you moved out. Like you're so you're in Beacon, New York, right? Yeah, yeah. I moved up here a little over a year ago. Is that like how far, like, out from the city or Massapequa, I guess? Uh, it takes me like an hour forty-five most times. Oh, so you're not far out? No, not not too bad. Unless I leave at like a dumb time of day, it could take like right, four right. hours. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you got. Yeah, sure. I just have to get. You know, I do have to get through like upstate like westchester and the bronx and stuff um mm-hmm. but it's really not that bad i come back once a week for moon stuff that's cool though but where's ray um ray was living in brooklyn for a while but he's back in massapequa right now oh that's hilarious so where do you guys practice at his studio at westfall oh you're at what oh okay cool oh that's nice right so he <laughs> since yeah. he works he's been he's been working there for like forever yeah him and anthony have owned that place now for like think 11 or 12 years so ray own he's a co-owner yeah it's just anthony and ray now westfall it has been it has been you know they bought the building i think 12 years ago and they were kind of affiliated uh with santos for a little while but it's pretty much just been them since then since they moved to farmingdale um it's sick now man it's they really uh really did a lot with that place Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, like, we, I, we have I, it pretty easy. I always have because of Ray, you know. He's uh, he's like a genius fucking engineer. And, uh, you know, I've known Anthony since... Do you know Anthony Lepardo? I know of him through Blackie. Oh, uh, right. But right. I've never actually, like, met him or anything like that. Yeah, those have been, like... Those were, like, my first, you know, best friends with music. Anthony and Ray, it was, like, the same time. So it's cool, man. That's crazy. Like, I have no idea he was like co-owner of that. I thought he was just like (laughs) working there. And then he's just like a dude that's just been working there for a long time. Oh, no, it's been all rain at for for over a decade now. I got to say, man, like the Crux recordings and stuff, uh, which I assume was all recorded there. Yeah. And then Ray mixed and mastered it. Fucking awesome. Like Thanks. the, uh, the sound quality, uh, did you guys self-produce or did you have like another dude come in and like, like co-produce? Well, what happened with that one is, uh, uh, you know, we were writing, uh, our second record, which became Crux and, uh, we got approached by Machine, 
Uh, oh, from like Clutch, New Jersey? Uh, um, well, yeah, he had the machine shop in New Jersey back in the day. Uh, but mm-hmm. we knew him more from like uh, Clutch, Blast Tyrant, and like Lamb of God, Ashes of the Wake, like those records he'd produced and among others. He kind of like out of the blue approached us like, hey, I might want to work on your next record. And then he brought in uh, Mark from Lamb of God to do pre-pro like at his house and have him kind of help out. And so we, we did end up working with producers for pre-production, but they didn't end up actually doing the record with us. So then Ray recorded the whole record and, and mixed and mastered it. So we kind of did, kind of didn't. We ended up shopping that record and essentially our friends, Tom and Travis, started a label called Modern Static, put it out with us. Um, and it did well like critically and stuff. And then we got some bigger touring because of that. And, and, you know, now we're, now we have, you know, management again and agent again and a label again, like, or, you know, a bigger label technically. Um, but it took us basically putting it out ourselves and Ray finishing it himself as far as mixing and everything else, tracking and mixing everything. Uh, you know, we, to actually prove it to people that it, it could work and would make sense. That's fucking so crazy that you had to actually, <laughs> well, I mean, it makes sense. Like you have to jump through hoops for a lot of shit. Um, no, it's just like take an opportunity as it comes and then it, it's things work out, don't work out and then work out in other ways. Now, like for Crocs, like uh, production wise, did you, was it you guys um, 100%, 100% songwriters organization of like the music and everything, or was someone else involved like on the side? Uh, no, I mean, every, everything that, uh, there are no like co-writers of crux, but, um, when we, you know, allowed machine and Mark Morton into the process, like we let them, uh, produce the record, you know, and put pitch ideas and some things we battled it out over and some things were just exci- is you know were cool and they were better and it was fun. Um, oh, okay. You know, uh, it was our first time ever trying to do that. So, so like uh, machine, they had input on some of the crux stuff. I mean, yeah, they. Uh, you know, we. It all came from material that we we brought there, but mm-hmm. they were like, you know, try to. Uh, you know this part should be longer this part should be shorter and yeah we, we we let them produce the record you know it came out awesome it sounds fucking incredible it, and the new stuff too it sounds so good dude thank you i appreciate that yeah it was never like anybody ever picked up a guitar or put down a lyric or sang a melody it was more just like big picture stuff at times um it was a you know, it was a difficult process, but I think that the record came out better. You know, it was uh, it was fun to be challenged and and to kind of um, have to look at your music so objectively. And I think that that's because you know Ray is such an amazing engineer and, and such a genius when it comes to anything recording music, you know, playing music, fixing instruments. Like he's just, you know, he's brilliant at all of it. Um, but like, no one of us can really take like an, I don't know, like an objective listen to things that you've been working on for years, a lot of the time. Yeah, you need that outside ear every so often. 
Yeah, I think that um, I don't think that we'll always do that, but you know, we we've done it for the last two records, and uh, it's been exciting. You know, it just it just felt like a a cool opportunity, to be honest. But you so know, did... it's all pretty it's all pretty vague. You know, it's just like pitch an idea, shoot it down, fight over it. Some of it gets through, but it um, I don't know. It it was uh it was like it, it, I always felt like it's a challenge. You know, to come up with better stuff, and I, I like that part of it. How did they? Is was there something specific that they challenged you with to bring more, I guess, pop to the songs or something like that? Um, I I guess I mean uh, you know it's it's like it, they a lot they put a lot of pressure on uh, the singer, you know. Okay. Uh, but uh, that's. Uh, that's like you know that th that's the thing is that that really communicates your music. Was it was it pressure to put on the singer to come up with like better melodies or to sing better or better performance? Like what was the angle of what they were kind of looking at? Well, uh, no, I mean you know I think the reason that they're there in the first place is because of John, you know, because he has this like you know very powerful melodic voice that's different i love his voice by the way his voice is so fucking cool right you know so i think a lot of times it's just like um it just comes down to reining him in because john's like this wild free spirit artistically and mm -hmm. uh you know if you listen to chroma paragon you know you hear this very like raw inspiration to mm -hmm. the crazy you know you know at the time we were kind of just me and ray were writing you know psychotic fast songs and then handing them to john and be like here you go figure it out like yeah. right and then after that record we started to you know more write with john in mind and leave space for him you know so we were already kind of moving in that direction as it was you know but uh mm. as far as uh when we worked on crux it was you know it's just they they get up his ass about uh enunciating and rhythmic things sure <laughs> yeah, <that's> it. <laughs> well it's just you know the, the, unfortunately it's it's all in your perspective because it could be looked at as you know a producer is trying to make something uh more marketable at the end of the day you know that's their sure. job um i always looked at, at at it for the last two records as this is an opportunity to to do something special with a record you know to make it a little bit scarier and just more of a challenge, you know, make it, uh, just try, try things, you know, especially with somebody who's worked with some of my favorite bands, you know, it's hard to say no to that. And then, and then he machine brought in Mark Morton from Lamb of God, who I'd been looking up to since I was, you know, 13 years old. And it was, you know, it was really cool. And we learned a lot from them. How long did you work with them for? Like, was it like over a year or like a, like a month it was, or two? It was five days. Oh, wow. <laughs> we basically I like, just... I uh, like the way you were like, uh, it was five days. No, no, don't exaggerate. It was five days. <laughs> that's, that's what it was. We were at Mark's house in, in Richmond for f five days. And he has like a kind of a studio space and in, uh, upstairs of his garage. And we just stayed at his house for five days and... We just set up all the gear and just played through the songs and just argued. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. So was it um, all the songs that ended up on the album, were those all the songs you played with for the, those five days? 
uh, yeah, I, I think there was maybe one or two more that were like, you know, brought to the table, but it was pretty much those were the, the songs that we knew were going to be the record. And what was the like uh, kind of the schedule you guys kept for those five days? Like as far as like getting up, like when do we start playing and when do we stop playing and blah, blah, blah. All that stuff. Uh, we would roll in at like, you know, into the room with coffee at like yeah. nine nine thirty, and then work until like midnight and then hang out until three or four in the morning, you know, go to sleep and then do it again. It was, uh, it was intense. Oh, man, that's all <laughs> cramming that in like that. But I mean, I could see it only being that way at the same time. Yeah. I mean, everybody was taking it very seriously. You know, it was, it was, yeah, it was so cool to, um, have people I look up to like really taking, things i wrote that seriously you know where we're actually fighting about it you know it's it was surreal it was very that's, intense that's wild dude that's so crazy and, and when i say when i say fighting i don't mean it in a, in a negative way you know just you know you're debating apart and i learned a lot from mark because he'd been through it a bunch of times well you know you know he'd work with machine so it was this interesting dynamic where he like he could totally relate to what we were going through at times where we're like no you can't you can't shorten that part. That's the part where the fucking riff does this fucking sick thing, you know? Yeah. And, and him being like, no, okay, like he, your verse should hit here. And he was, you know, he was right a bunch of the time. We didn't use everything. We didn't listen to every uh, direction by any means, but that was the first time any of us had, had went through that. So it was definitely emotional at times. Oh, I could totally see that. But at the same time, it what a learning experience, man. Like the education you receive. Yeah. Like that. And who's passionate about your music that you wrote, uh, give you guidance. Who wants to see the best of it is so fucking crazy. Yeah. And that's really what it does. It really brings out the best in you. Cause it, it really feels like, you know, pressure to like, to go above and beyond what you, you know, came up with or what you thought you could play as a solo, you know? I mean, there is a song, uh, Rhythm and Roar on Crux, where um, I had this whole solo composed and I was really proud of it. And Machine and Mark were both like, that's sick, but that's not the solo for this song. Like, And they were right. And I just came up with something else. And it's one of my favorite things I've ever written because it, it came from this place of like, all right, <laughs> you know, fuck you guys. I'll come up with something way sicker. But, you know, I'm saying Almost that like that, that angsty like, teenager. <laughs> you come back like twice as hard because you're almost pissed. Right. It's, you know, you shoot an idea down. And it's like you want to, you know, you want to make something that's undeniable. I feel like when I heard that album for the first time, I heard Rhythm and Roar. I was like, man, that is like your genre. You know, like, like if I were to give Moon to the genre, I would say rhythm and roar because I feel like that's the perfect way to describe what you guys do. Um, there's so much blues influence and groove and all that kind of stuff, but there's so much like balls and intensity to it at the same time. Um, Thanks. Yeah, I, I, that's interesting because we write a lot of more metal influence songs, and that's definitely one of the more uh, just like. Uh, I don't know, old school, heavy, bluesy, stoner rock kind of Sabbath worship. Oh, I was for trying, sure, man. I was trying to write a Soundgarden riff when I wrote that riff. Uh, you know, it's funny because <laughs> I've known you're playing, you know, for so long. 
um, that I could hear, you know, Dimebag in what you do. I could hear Zach Wilde in what you do. Um, and then Sabbath influence obviously is in all that and everything. And then you go do a lot of like technical shit, like real technical shit. Um, so for me to pick that stuff out was kind of a no brainer with the blues stuff. Cause you throw in some random country ish shit too, in the middle of all that. Uh, it's a hodgepodge of stuff that's really concise and like almost in like, a like, like how countdown to extinction and euthanasia is in like a, like you could say that's a pop metal market in a way, you know, it's the cleaner stuff of what they do. Or I feel like that's, like you found that in the crux album like what you guys were doing there and now you're exploring it further with the conduit sort of stuff um you guys have like a wild technical aspect to you but at the same time a very specific well songwriter kind of thought process at the same time it's uh it's pretty wild, man. <laughs> it's really good. Thanks, man. I mean, uh, the uh, the riffs just sort of are there, <laughs> but uh, you know, me and me and Ray definitely work hard uh, at being good musicians and coming up with good stuff. But uh, I don't know. Like to me, the thing like the riffs on the conduit and. Uh, anything from crux and then stuff from promo paragon like it just sounds like it still just sounds like us you know there's not really much of like a a thought behind the inspiration for the songs that makes them trying to be one thing or another but i i guess just the main thing is that we're just trying to write together now you know and, and trying to it's not like one person brings a finished song to the table anymore like everybody pretty much has their time with it uh, as we're mm -hmm. as we're coming up with the the stuff you know but um yeah as far as like the country and blues stuff i mean i just i that stuff's there just because i love it it's and, and so does everybody else in the band it's like i don't know there's uh, we've definitely uh, uh one thing i'm i'm very proud of with moontooth is that we've pretty much opened the doors to be able to do any type of music we yeah, did. you guys have that that chameleon effect. Like you can you can almost genre hop while keeping your sound and like making it your fucking thing, which is awesome. Like uh, the acoustic stuff, like really, like your songs translate so well to acoustic, but they almost sound like a complete different genre. It's insane. It's awesome. Thank you. I mean, that that was uh, the goal. I mean, uh, yeah, that's. I always believed in that. Uh, that sort of trope of, you know, if you have a good song, you should be able to play it on acoustic guitar and have the same effect. Um, and that's yeah. definitely a goal uh, for Moontooth, at least for me when I'm writing things, is that I can, it doesn't matter. I don't have to rely on, you know, distortion and like very heavy tone to make the song have feeling. Like it should come from like the right. melody and, and the chord progression. Yeah, no, the the way you guys write is, it's awesome. It's like, it's again, yeah, you have the technical aspects, but the, there is that like, there's like that's this catchiness that's almost built in and, and like when the vocals come in, like he does all these vocal riffs that are just so fucking cool. 
that sometimes you don't even see them coming. They almost like take you by surprise. You're like, oh shit, the fuck was that? That was awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we definitely all, I mean, I, I really love brutal, awful death metal and grind and black metal and stuff, but I really do love catchy hooks. Like that's makes me happy if I feel like we came up with a hook. The hook can be like a heavy, gnarly riff too. It doesn't have to be like, you know, a catchy vocal thing catchy chorus but it's like it's got to have some kind of hook like i think yeah, of like a lot of like metal i love like pantera and slayer and stuff and metallica too i mean they they had definitely had vocal hooks but a lot of the time the hook is like the riff and it's it's heavy but it's catchy it sticks with you yeah like you'll know master of puppets from the first fucking two seconds of the song <laughs> like, yeah. like you just know or enter salmon or something or even like you know cowboys from hell as soon as you hear the beginning of it like you know you, you know that you, shit when you hear it here's some flanger and you're like i think that's cowboys from hell <laughs> yeah i mean if you even just think of walk i mean the main riff is like mm-hmm. complete, yeah. is it's completely like atonal there's no, there's no there's no like key to it it's just two notes with a bend in it and it's just like that's the reason that song is what it is it's how big it is it's because of just like how cool that guitar hook is and then you, you hear stuff like that in country and bluegrass and, and blues and everything and you just try to absorb it all and i don't know like pay tribute to you know everything a little bit I love Chet Atkins and I love surf, yeah. surf rock and stuff. I want to do all that stuff. It's good guitar and all that music. Yeah, and it sounds like it, man. Like you come through as like just an all-knowing conglomerate of guitar, <laughs> like, and you do it very genuinely and com- like convincingly. It doesn't sound like you're trying to do anything. It just sounds like what you feel like doing. Like this is what I do, and I'm going to do it now, sort of thing. Thanks, man yeah for sure like and even your tone that you're using like what was the difference between crux and i would say the i guess the last album and stuff because there was something like what, what amp wise are you what's the difference between those two albums um because well, it sounds on, very on, different on crux it was always my high watt mixed with um let me think we had a soldano for a little while sometimes it was a 5150 um sometimes it was a mesa and then a chroma paragon i don't even remember to be honest because i remember like you were using the crunch heads for a while i mean my i've been using high watt since like 2014 up until then, I had a, a Marshall JCM 2000, but I was already using like the, the crunch setting and trying to use like distortion pedals to okay. juice the amp so that it would sound a little gnarlier without mm-hmm. necessarily being, you know, just a little bit more unique and uh, than like just using the high gain channel. Right. And then uh, it just kept kind of breaking on me. And uh, one time at a show with a band called Black Blizzard from uh, West Virginia, uh, our, our buddies from down there were playing in Brooklyn and I didn't have a head and it just like went down on me I don't know a week before or something and uh, Paul their guitar player let me use his high watt and I was just was like all right I'm done <laughs> this is this is the perfect sound it's just very uh, very clear and very clean mm-hmm. um, and with the right distortion pedal through it it's just like it cuts and 
it just sounds, I don't know, real heavy and interesting. Um, I really like high, you know, like, like high output, clean sounding amps powered by like a, you know, a bunch of pedals. Right, right, right. But uh, on the on the amp, on the record, we would always a b it with something that was a little bit more modern, high gain, like a fifty one fifty or a Soldano. Uh, we have a JC eight hundred that me and Ray have joint custody of over now, and uh, uh, we use that for a lot of the solos. Oh, that was the new record. I'm sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. On Chrome Paragon, we had the high watt, and I think we used like a crank through like a eight by ten. Which made no sense, and then we also used—I want to say a fifty-one fifty. Okay. I mean, guitars take a long time in Moontooth because Ray is just as obsessed with like Tone. crazy gnarly guitar tones as I am. So, yeah. on Chrome Paragon, we were switching amps and for every part of every song, and then on Crux, we pretty much built a rig for every song. Um, we we tried not to do that on this new record, but we ended up doing it a lot anyway. Just trying to find that perfect sort of vibe for each riff, you know, like it's like something like rhythm and roar or something like uh, trust. They just need a different different setup. Interesting, because like the the Chroma Paragon album, like there's definitely a more like a more attention to like a lower a lower fuzzier tone. I want to say, but like the crux album is definitely sounds like a cleaner metal tone kind of happening and then like the the conduit stuff sounds like you threw on all right let's like let's throw on some like gnarly like muse pedal or something or like a mixed with like a low-end whammy pedal or something just like well that song is all uh ray just being nuts with a uh a zvex fuzz factory and uh and just like running another track an octave down and just having this real fucking disgusting Ray's been coming up with the most horrible, disgusting sounds from a guitar I've ever heard recently. Like since we put, well, since we finished recording this record, he's, I don't know, he's got some weird fucking wizard shit happening. It just, <laughs> it's, it sounds like the end of the world. I'm really excited because, you know, we've, uh, really like gone off the deep end trying to get like this head blended with this head and Ray's just been coming up with the most psychotic stuff like either on his computer or just running a, a pedal into a DI and just doing weird shit it's like a Frankenstein maker <laughs> he really just he's just <laughs> out of his fucking mind so how do you how do you um, do those sounds live uh, like on the conduit, like you played Gramercy recently. So what are you doing to mimic those sounds on your boards? Um, I just, uh, I, I kind of do it with my pickups and I will move my, like I have a pitchfork octave harmony thing, oh, okay. uh, which, which I'll set kind of low. Um, I tried using the actual uh, ZVEX pedal, but it was just too different than how I have my amp set for, my pedals currently but i'm, I'm mm. trying to figure that out that was our first time playing it was uh this past weekend run that we did a couple weeks ago oh, that's got to be weird man right it's got to like just hearing that shit for the first time like that well we, we rehearsed it a lot but yeah it's mm -hmm. always a lot different when you actually get on a stage and, and try these things for the first time in like a big room small room and just see how it actually works out um but yeah you know it just 
you know, distortion and an octave thing. It, it works out. We just play it real hard. What distortion pedal are you using right now? Um, through my high watt, I run a Friedman BEOD. Uh, okay. I have the uh, BEOD Plus now, I think it's called, which has two channels. Um, and I also always run a uh, J-Rocket Archer, which is like a clon. I run that before the Friedman, and uh, that's on all the time. I also have a uh, attenuator now. It's a Fryat PS2, which basically allows me to push the high watt as loud as I want to, but then just lower it with an, an all-tube uh, attenuator. So it adds like even a little bit more, I don't know, zuzz. While while letting me play at a volume that's manageable, that's always been the struggle with uh, doing the setup I have is that it's always it sounds so much better when it's like too loud. Oh. And, you know, you think when uh, you start playing bigger rooms that that's going to be okay, but it's really the opposite. Well, yeah, the sound guy's yelling at you to turn it down. You're like, nah, that's not happening, man. Well, I have a certain level that is like comfortable and sometimes that can in certain rooms can, you know, you could ruin their mix because they can't get the vocals over it and stuff. Mm. So um, I've always uh, just tried to find a place where I could compromise without being a dick. And uh, but now I have this uh, basically awesome volume knob that comes after my amp so that I can still get the sound I want, but be reasonable about it. Oh, that's good. But, you know, we, we definitely need to feel air pushing and definitely that type of band. It, it, it has to feel live and alive, you know. It can't it can't feel too, uh, uh, I don't know, like on the grid to a track. Yes. Sterile. Yeah, I can't. I don't think that Moontooth can ever really go that way. Yeah, no, I like, I remember... Um, so like one of the last Midnight Mob shows we did, actually the last one we did was at this um, conference, the launch music conference in Lancaster. And uh, we were doing an outside, like um, kind of like an amphitheater sort of thing. It was like the main stage of this like event. And it was the first time of the conference ever doing something this big out to the city kind of deal. And I put my amp on and I just, I use um, a PV3120. So it's like it's like the fifty one fifty, but it's an anniversary edition sort of deal. And mm. you know, I had my volume on, like I'm used to having my volume up to like, you know, halfway a little bit, like maybe one o'clock. Fucking okay, quarter up. Maybe at like seven o'clock. And they're like, yo, dude, it's it's too loud. You're like you're like you're like way too loud. I'm like, I can't even hear myself properly on the stage and you're telling me I'm I'm too loud. And it affects everything, man. Like when you can't hear yourself the way you want to hear yourself on the stage, and I'm the same way. I like the I like to feel the air pushing. I, I want to know. I just want to feel it a certain way, and it it, it totally affects the performance of, of the show you're gonna do. And you're, yeah, you're definitely. Se you're second guessing everything you're hitting, and and it it, it sucks. I, I hate that so much. Yeah, I mean, that would be the argument to go all, you know, in-ears and stuff like that maybe one day. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see if we get there or not. I mean, I think that we're pretty confident in just being able to play anywhere at any, 
you know, whatever the situation is. I mean, you know, the bigger the tour we've done, the less time we've had for like a sound check or anything like that. You know, we just have to just go for it, you know. But I, I know what you mean because it's when I've been super low on stage and I'm trying to hear myself in a monitor, I'm trying to like do a solo and, you know, make sure my vibrato doesn't suck and stuff. Like, exactly. You can't, yeah. you, you can't really do your show. You it's know? so easy to bend slightly out of key and it sucks to hear that <laughs> yeah i mean I'm, i pretty much will never let it that i'm i'm that low on stage anymore but yeah i i understand it's tough for sound guys too a room sometimes just doesn't you know all people are going to hear is your guitar pouring off the front of the stage so it's a tough uh it's like a little duel that you're doing yeah and it's agreement you definitely have to have you know it's a well, gentleman's if you, if you, agreement if you have a sound guy, you know, that you travel with that understands how to deal with it. I mean, that's the thing. Sometimes you can't expect someone you just met five seconds ago to like okay. make it work in their room, you know, without ever having met you before. But, uh, you know, we all, we've all had our good and bad experiences. So like, it's so funny because Moontooth, I used to see like the earliest kind of shows of Moontooth back in probably like, I don't know, maybe 2011, 12, <laughs> somewhere around that area. And, you know, you, you take a second glass, a glance at like your, if I look at Spotify, I'll see like 50,000 people listening to it right now. How the hell, like what happened? Where did you get yourself? Like, who did you, hook up with that was able to get your music to the masses in that way um i mean i, I can honestly say I, I really think that it was just the four of us believing in it and and sticking by it when nobody else seemed to want to so did you did you was there like um i mean so i could say that like uh intronaut taking us out mark morton taking us out animals as leaders taking us out and then getting good press from, you know, Metal Injection, Metal Sucks, Pitchfork, Rolling Stone, like those, you know, those sort of organic things happened, which we were lucky that they happened. But I think that believing in that record and putting it out ourselves really with Modern Static Records, our friends, um, you know, then, then people wanted to work with us, you know, uh, but it came from believing in ourselves first and foremost. But now we have awesome management, uh, shelter music management, and uh, a great booking agent. You know, but it took many many years to get this team together. You know, we we'll, next year will be our tenth year. For sure, yeah. Because the first yeah. EP came out in like 2013. Um, yeah. When we, when did uh, so as far as like Metal Injection, Rolling Stone, like those types of um outlets getting involved how did they get involved with you guys like how did you get on their radar um well the rolling stone and pitchfork thing was just pretty much from i guess that you know those writers awareness of us i know that the pitchfork writer i believe saw us at saint vitus once okay um metal injection metal sucks it came from playing a lot of shows in brooklyn and meeting um Frank from Metal Injection and Ben from Metal Sucks and just becoming friends. But I mean, uh, you know, I don't like Metal Sucks, I think was the first kind of press I ever got for Exemptions last album. 
mm-hmm. and, and uh, yeah, you know, it. A lot of it just comes from people who genuinely uh, are into it, at least a little bit enough to either give us a little shout out here or there, or actually post like a really nice article or review. It doesn't really come from. It definitely comes from. So I've always I've I've put this several times in the past as it's like a combination of hard work and just luck and and putting out you know a good vibe and, and trying to make real friendships in the in the industry and um you know that's something that's not in your control you know i feel like there's a lot of times people you know the, the whole hustle culture thing can be pretty toxic but you do have to work really hard obviously in this you have to like take it seriously and work hard at your craft but you know a lot of the good opportunities that have come to Moontooth have just come from making real friendships that it shows that you know stayed you know connected in some way for years and eventually those things will blossom into you know new relationships and, and connections it, it, it's really not something um that you can do by design i think you just you know i feel bad i, mean, I, I teach guitar and i have a lot of students trying to start bands and get bands off the ground and like i can't imagine trying to do it right now it would be just <laughs> impossibly hard it's always been impossibly yeah. hard and, and now it's literally impossible but you know Moontooth would just play any possible show for at least the first four years as a band and doing diy tours and just just trying to be out there as much as possible and just but in, in you know making uh connections along the way that were like organic and real yeah, so you're basically doing everything we've been telling people to do is just get out there, do it, put out quality stuff, be passionate about what you do, and uh, don't be an asshole, more or less. Uh, enjoy the ride for what it, for what it is. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're like, I've always liked going to shows and playing shows because I got to meet people and talk to people. And mm-hmm. um that connection through music is what it's all about, you know? Um, but you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer in get out there and play shows, play as many shows as possible. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I mean, I tell, you know, it's funny. I heard, uh, I remember being at this conference and, uh, with a bunch of industry people and this one band gets up there and they, uh, I don't even know who the hell they were, but they, they went on and on and on about how, you know, you shouldn't, tour you should wait until this happens you should wait until that happens and i'm watching i'm like thinking like really are you are you crazy like like if anything you should play as many shows as humanly possible talk to many people as humanly possible because it could lead to connections to this and to that and to whatever and it never hurts to expand your your community around you you know whatever that is yeah i mean uh you know, we're all on the internet all day, every day. But when somebody comes to your show and you get to hang out for a minute and talk to them, you know, that's, oh, yeah. that's, I mean, the best connection, the best way to sell yourself is in person. Like, like you're saying, like you could talk to someone on the internet all day, but if you meet them in person, you're more likely to hang out with them and talk to them more often than not. Like they're a real person all of a sudden. They're not just this face on the internet. Right. Exactly. And you know, that's, you know, and, and it's an important part of it. I mean, I do understand that, you know, touring and 
losing a lot of money and all that is like, you know, on paper, <laughs> pretty impractical and stupid. Right. But, you know, it's not like, I, I always just felt like we're not going to just play on Long Island until we get offered a, you know, a good tour. We're going to have to mm-hmm. go to Atlanta eight times before we can, you know, draw a hundred people, 10 times, 15 pe- times, you know, and every time you go, it, it just gets a little better. But it, it also comes down to just having the right people in your group. Like I'm very fortunate that the other guys in Moontooth like uh, take it as seriously as I do and, and, you know, are willing to shed some blood for it and make their lives not super comfortable all the time. For sure. Yeah, I know that's the other thing, right? It's it's, it's not just you. <laughs> it's yeah. it's all the other other people involved in your band that's got to kind of agree with what you kind of want to do, and you, you all have to be on the same, uh, I guess, idea of how you want to go about doing it. Yeah, it's like, do you want to do you want to be broke and risk me driving off the road every night with you <laughs> for the next right. month and a half, like? It's a big ask. You need to have the right people on board for that kind of thing. For sure. Yeah. Don't people don't realize how fucking crazy it is to, to, to go do these things, you know? And, and you know, the, uh, I guess the sacrifice that you put into it, the energy, but you don't even think about that. Like when you, because you love it so much, you don't even give a flying fuck. Like there's no care in the world. You kind of just do it. Um, because you love it. Uh, and unfortunately a lot of people don't have something that they're passionate about that they'll just blindly fucking go for it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely become our life's blood the last couple of years of, uh, not playing shows and not touring. Um, it's definitely been tough. It's definitely, uh, the longer it goes on, the more, uh, it sucks. <laughs> like hurts your soul, like- you know? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we got to do three shows in August and then three shows in December a couple of weeks ago. And uh, they're both really fun runs and it felt really good. But then it's almost like then when it gets turned off again, it's almost harder because you're like, you don't know when you're going to get to do it again. Yeah. So like how, what is the schedule? Like what's your plan for Moontooth? You put out uh, two new singles. Um, one of them, you had an acoustic version as well. And, when will the when do you project the full length to come out or an ep um uh there's a couple more singles coming but the album will come out in the spring okay uh and we have a a pretty substantial tour that hasn't been announced yet for the spring and hopefully that will put it you know on the outside of uh whatever the fuck's going on right now Mm -hmm. but um yeah we're very excited to announce that unfortunately can't do that right now is that going to be like a full like a national thing? Are you going to go over to Europe? What's the plan there? Uh, it's a full you U.S. Know. Yeah, you can't plan on going international because no one knows what the fuck's going on, right? Yeah, all those all those tours are getting canceled right now. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I've been seeing that. That's cool. Any festivals popping up in this national thing? Possibly. Uh, yeah, actually, in California, but I uh, I'll have to wait yeah. until it's all announced. So hopefully, touring in the spring. Fingers crossed. I'm I'm confident it'll be okay. Uh, it's been a bit of a drag to kind of go back to um, everything getting canceled and kind of figuring out how the hell we're going to play shows on this record. But uh, spring is looking pretty good right now. And how's your how's your van doing? 
that that van um, is about to be put down. Oh no! Yeah, we had to get that one last weekend out of it, but we knew uh, it was on its way out. We bought it from uh, Fit for an Autopsy, and it had already been through a lot, and we put it through a lot more, and uh, we just can't really trust it anymore. That's okay. It, it did us good for a little while, so it's time to uh, get a new van. So we're we're trying to figure that out now. Try to buy something that's uh, going to be reliable. Renting's just too expensive. Nah, it's better to own too, because then you can, you know, it's like it's like your mobile home. When you rent, it's like a mobile hotel. You want to want to live in your van for like weeks at a time, so you want it to be comfortable, you know. Yeah, the last one was definitely not that. <laughs> did you did you have a name for your van? Not really. Uh, when we bought it from Fit for an Autopsy, I think before them, it was owned by some rental company or something. So there was a big sticker on the side that said Vantasia. <laughs> so we used to just. Oh call it my that. god, that's amazing! <laughs> it's kind of awesome. You should all wear blue hats and moons and stars and shit on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it it was a good van. I mean, I we were really lucky that. Uh, Fit for an autopsy guys sold it to us for so cheap it lasted a couple years actually somebody during covid uh somebody cut the catalytic converter off of it <laughs> so oh, no. when we went back to play shows it was like nope <laughs> you're gonna somebody stole the catalytic converter off your van also as if this wasn't hard enough so that happened it died in august on 95 and then it uh, after it the grand show it, it died and then uh we had to tow it and then get, go get a truck from Long Island, get the trailer, and then we took two personal cards to D.C. the next day to play that show. Oh, that yeah, the, the split-up driving is rough. <laughs> it was kind of insane to do. We went to sleep at like 8 o'clock, woke up at 9.30, <laughs> and then drove to D.C. in two cars. But the show ended up being really good, so it, it, it ended up being worth it. It's always worth it. Once you get there and you start playing, all the shit you went through just to get there always balances out. That's very true. And it's it just makes it all the more worth it. You know, you just appreciate it that much more. You had to go through so much shit to do it. Yeah. And you laugh about it afterwards, like way afterwards. At the time, it's usually not funny. <laughs> yeah, it's funny now. Yeah, it's funny now. Exactly. So, Nick, does Moontooth go out with, um, like, a roadie merch uh, situation, or do you guys just roll out as yourselves and figure it all out as you go? Um, it varies from tour to tour. We always try okay. to take at least one person to do merch. Um, yeah, we were the same way. Maybe help drive a little bit, but, um, you know, it just it gets harder for your buddies that you trust to <laughs> take off work for that long to do it. And um, But, you know, we... When we do bigger runs, you know, we we definitely have to figure it out because it, you know, we would have John just like run from the stage to the merch table, and that's <laughs> unfair to do. Or me, it's or whoever gimmick, was able to do it. Yeah, but night after night, it's definitely it's it's too much. Not that we don't love talking to people, and and that's fun. But like when you're like completely covered in sweat and can't breathe, and you have to run and then try to go figure out like the card reader <laughs> you're like dying and you like, need water it's it's you know it's a little ridiculous but yeah, like you said it's, singing, it's always yeah. yeah that too though john is not a uh 
he is not a wimpy singer. He uh, he just barrels through it. He's a Viking. He is a Viking. That's a perfect way to put it. <laughs> I would expect no less from from a dude with a deep voice like that. Yeah, you know, he warms up and he takes, you know, he, he takes his job seriously. But um, I've, uh, his singers are definitely a little bit more tepid. I think it's because he, I met, when I met John, he was playing drums in Rice Cultivation Society. That's how I met him, if they're playing through that, in that band. And uh, I think because he was a drummer first, it just makes him tougher. <laughs> oh, he, so he was a drummer. Mm. Um, yeah, when I met John, he was playing drums in uh, the band Rice Cultivation Society that I had joined uh, after him. Oh, that's crazy. That's why he's like such a unique... It's all those years of cardio. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, at the time he was already like recording his own music, like guitar, drums, bass, and vocals. And uh, yeah, like never took a music lesson in his life, but just has this drive and just inspiration and, you know, a sense of pitch. You know, he just like kind of goes by his own, I don't know, his own energy, his own fuel to make what he does. The way he sings is uh, so unique and it is so beneficial for your band because it stands out so much more. It's it's so complimentary to what you guys do. I hear that type of voice. It's weird because we were listening to the um, the acoustic EP there's moments where it's like, this could almost be like a Dave Matthews song. If, <laughs> if you didn't know the metal version of it, you'd be like, this is almost like a Dave Matthews song. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, uh, I've heard that before. I've heard uh, blues traveler a couple times, which is funny. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think that that's just what people assign to a like more bluesy or soulful voice against, I don't know, weird rock music. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, John, I mean, like we, we, when we do like sort of country or sounding things, like he can do that so well, you know, he just has a lot of uh, emotion in his voice. So if it's like, that's, that's kind of how the writing has shifted is to kind of really give him a, a nice uh, bed, nice platform for that, you know, to live, to like actually sing soulful and, um, you know, to his strengths. But yeah, I mean, uh, we, we laugh when we do the acoustic version sometimes. It's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, because it's hilarious. <laughs> like, like his voice, and then you hear, I guess, do you alter the chords into like more of like Beatles-esque, like seventh chords sort of deal? Um, uh, sometimes, like uh, with acoustic guitar, it's like some of the riffs sound good, but a lot of times a lot of the tighter single note riffs, like just they sound small and acoustic. Mm -hmm. So instead, it, try to just represent it with more big chords and open strings and just try to reinforce it so that the guitar can still sound kind of heavy. Um, yeah. But some, you know, it's all different. I definitely, I definitely worked uh, hard at the, those arrangements, but at the same mm -hmm. time, it was like really fun for me. Yeah. It's gotta be super challenging. Like um, a song like through Ash, uh, when you hear like, so off the Crux album, it's probably my favorite song off that album. And, when you hear that melody that's underneath the chorus, the do 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 thing, I was like, how yep. the fuck is this dude going to do it, like, acoustically? And then I heard you do it, and I was like, oh, wow, that's fucking pretty crazy. That's, like, really crazy. Like, how long did you sit 
with those things to arrange it. Like, cause you, cause you record crux with almost like a two guitar mindset, but then you, you know, like, how do you put that shit together? Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the full band, like live version, I, I do this thing where I do like a, the melody with my right hand tapping and mm-hmm. then kind of bounce with my left hand on the bass line. I can't quite do the full bass line, but Vinny like holds it down on that part. Sure. But for the acoustic thing, I, I pretty much just like with all the stuff, I would just take, um, you know, whatever I was doing note wise, try to move it down an octave and then think about how I could, you know, maybe do it in open position so that I could ride uh, some of the chord progression too. I remember that one being particularly hard, but with with a lot of that stuff and a lot of Moon 2 stuff in general, it's like the idea comes easy. It's just like practicing it a million times to make sure you can do it every time is the hard part. How, before you did that, because the group sessions was live, correct? Um, well, we did the EP and that was in the studio. And then the, yeah, oh. we did a live session. So, um, on, you know, on streaming, there is an EP and then there's a live session that we did. What were the rehearsals for that live version? Because that, I mean, you're doing things totally different. Uh, that's got to be, I, I, I mean, if, if I were you, that I'd probably drill the shit out of it before doing that live. Yeah, I mean, we did it once a week for uh, probably a month, month and a half. Um, okay. But, um, yeah, you know, a lot of work at home. But, so just uh, like kind of, kind of working out your arrangements sort of deal? Yeah, actually, if, uh, oddly enough, that was the one time we all used in-ear monitors, too. Um, so we did one rehearsal. You know, we did about a month and change up until the date, and then we did, like, one kind of dress rehearsal, if you want to call it that, where we actually all rocked the in-ear monitors so I could hear, um, you know, kind of focus. Like, I can hear my guitar, and I could hear Ray, but not necessarily anything more than that, you know, so I could really hone in on my, my, my parts. Right, um, right, right, right. It was definitely um, nerve-wracking, <laughs> but uh, it was a, and it was a long day to to shoot it. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm actually really proud of that. I'm really proud of the covers, <laughs> dude. That's it's so ballsy that you guys did that because your music is so technical, and to to nail it the way you did acoustically is pretty fucking amazing. Thank you, man. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's hardcore. That's like you know, as naked as you can be to do that shit acoustically is pretty, pretty fucking unbelievable. I was blessed with a beautiful Martin that was lent to me and has been lent to me several times from my good friend, Tom Nads. And, uh, it's like the most beautiful acoustic guitar I've ever played. It just sounds so good. Every time I have it, I like, don't want to give it back. Nice. Um, that's something I'm, I'm kind of saving my pennies and like trying to like plan out is like, what acoustic guitar should I buy? I want to like go to the Martin factory and like have them make something special. Cause I really, I've always bought cheap acoustic guitars and then Me too. after, after a couple of years, they just kind of suck and you, you know, you need something legit. Yeah, I agree. I, and you're definitely at a point where it's like for sure worthwhile. And you know, like it's kind of, your band is very interesting because, uh, for everything you put out, acoustic version, like every song you guys ever record, there should always be your acoustic version because they're just that good. 
like there's there's almost like no reason not to double down on your content in a way mm-hmm. um well that's that's i appreciate that um i think that like we had fun doing the nymphy ac version the new one yeah it's um, awesome and we're, we're planning on one other alternate version for a future signal uh, single that won't be exactly acoustic but okay. um it's definitely fun but i feel like uh once we were done with the acoustic stuff, I was like, yeah, I want to be loud and heavy. <laughs> like that's oh, really, that's yeah, really what sure. I want to do. Acoustic stuff is fun. It's a fun challenge, but there's nothing that like replaces fucking loud, scary riffs and a loud volume. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, the, but it's nice that you're able to do both. You know, there's so many bands that I've, I've um, been in contact with where, they do only one thing and it's like hey listen you know if you want to tour it's really good like organize your shit for an acoustic format so you could do monday tuesday wednesday night at a like coffee house or random open mic or something just to fill in some spots just to practice or maybe sell some merch for gas money or something like that like yeah i mean that's actually something that uh you know we had the idea for the acoustic uh ep for a while but um you know, it just made sense to do when the pandemic happened because it gave us something that we could do little by little, just the four of us. And, you know, and then we got to do that, that live session, which, you know, was a special type of thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, I would love to try to sneak in like little radio things and do acoustic versions of stuff, you know, and just play more, you know, just, I don't know, I'm a firm believer in that you learn a lot from every single gig that you play sure and like that acoustic stuff opens you up to a whole nother demographic like, it's also it's, hard i mean that i'm on, on the i really think that i've never been more nervous to play a show moon tooth riot anything um than i have been to just like play an acoustic guitar and sing by myself in an open mic night with like 15 people like i'd be covered in sweat you know it's just something no. about the nakedness of it that's like really it's really hard i was always admired people that could go up by themselves and play a full set by themselves with an acoustic guitar takes a special talent to do that i agree it's like balls of steel i don't know how some people could do that like night after night and kind of like it's it's crazy especially when you're doing like um so when you do riot are you still doing riot are you like off and on with them or or? Um, we've definitely been slowed down significantly since the pandemic but we we're uh we're about halfway through making a new record and once we can kind of all get back to it uh whatever covid regulation stuff i mean it, sure our bassist lives in texas our drummer lives in jersey and our singer lives in michigan so definitely doesn't make things easy and then you guys do like euro gigs like big festivals well that's the other right? thing is that most of the gigs i played with riot since 2014 have been in in europe and japan i think yeah. play, out of the hundreds of gigs i probably played with them over there or, uh, I probably played, I don't know, eight in the states. Yeah, they're def- they're not like a U.S. market sort of situation. They're all, they're all like outside of here. Well, there's so, a certain like brand of like underground '80s metal that just yeah. thrives more in in Europe and Japan. But there's you know, there is like a market for it here, but it just for all those guys to get together and travel and you know it has to be something pretty significant you know it's mm-hmm. it's not you know Moontooth all lives around each other and we're you know we've been doing this like diy you know for many years before this so it's just like 
it's a little bit more uh, uh, low key, let's say. But it's crazy. Like, so the biggest crowds you've done, I mean, cause you've done some massive fucking festivals in Europe. Like what, so what was the biggest crowd you, you've done out there? Uh, the biggest show by far was Rockfest Barcelona, uh, in 2015. Um, we did the first late night slot after Judas Priest before Venom. And, <laughs> and uh, it was, I think the number I was told was like 30,000 people. Jesus Christ, dude. It was dude, totally I, insane. If I dude. left my monitor for like a moment, I there was no music. I was literally like watching our drummer so I could see when his stick was hitting the snare because the stage was so big. Isn't that we had, crazy? We, we, Riot, you know, even Riot, like, you know, we had no sound guy no help really mm. we're just doing this ourselves like i'm on my hands and knees plugging in my pedal board while, while rob halford is riding a motorcycle at the other stage i can't even imagine like because the, the biggest shows like midnight mob were on um so we opened up for skillet in Summerfest in uh milwaukee and we played in front of about six thousand seven thousand people uh their main wow. stage over there. That's awesome. I can only imagine 30,000. Like, because I, I knew what 6,000, 7,000 was like. I can't even imagine fucking four times the amount of people, the sea of people out there um, doing shit like that. And then we did uh, the other one we played with Kid Rock, but we played after Kid Rock at Sturgis. And you know, it's a, it's a jam packed. We play the, um, the stage. Like, so there's like a main stage and a side stage on that, that one. And, uh, we played the side stage on that one, but it's the entrance and exit to the entire festival. So you literally, you do play for the entire community. Um, but we, you don't get it. Like the way they have it organized for that sort of thing that you don't get it all in one shot. Uh, you get it like as they kind of flood in and flood out or whatever. So you're playing for like probably a solid thousand are in front of you at any like given moment. Um, but it's not like the main, like we did the main stage the night before we, we opened up for um, three doors down and that you're on the main stage and you have these giant screens behind you and like, like every concert you've ever been to. And you're like, how the fuck did I even get on the stage? But to play for 30,000 people in Europe after like a Judas preset, that is fucking bananas, dude. I can't even imagine like the intensity of that crowd. It was definitely the most uh, intense experience of my life. That is fucking crazy. And with yeah. Japan, Japan cool? Like, uh, yeah, I think, um, well, we played a loud park uh, a couple times, and that's, I think, like, 15,000 or something. Jesus. Those are huge too. Um, and when we do, that's like a big festival. And, and then when we do headliners, you know, we usually do, I think in Tokyo, like two, two 3000 seater, something like that. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's been a, um, amazing experience touring with them. Cause we do some like fucking dirty club shows too, you know, in between the festivals. It's, I've been, I've been through a lot of places with Riot at this point. That's cool. Does moon tooth get on any of those shows or is it, or is it you just uh, jump on those and do your thing? No, Moontooth hasn't played with Riot. Um, I get asked that, but uh, it's a totally different world. I would think so. Um, 
you know, a lot of those, a lot of those people are like really into like the, the last record they listened to came out in like 1990 and like, mm-hmm. that's it, you know? And then I think that's cool. I've learned so much about old school metal and, um, just the classic bands that, and the obscure classic bands that, um, I had little to no knowledge of before I was in Riot or how good they really were. And guys like Michael Shanker and, Oh, fuck yeah. You know, it's like I had an awareness, but I had, you know, until I saw him live and listened to those guys talk about him, I, I didn't even really put together how amazing he really is. And he's like a, a well-kept secret of amazing metal guitar. Um, I was a big Scorpions fan. I've always been like a big Scorpions fan, like, uh, you know, it was the Shanker brothers. So Rudolf Shanker was the Scorpions and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. um, there was something about that fucking group of musician in the 70s and 80s they had this like magic touch like the shit you can't replicate and they just can do something special it's it's a weird thing yeah and they were at the like the forefront of a lot of this stuff man i'm like oh for your website so i saw you you do like moontooth.org but also Mm -hmm. you have Bandcamp, and when you go to Bandcamp, it's got a lot more merch on it uh, I was just wondering what what's the, but the moontooth.org doesn't seem to be updated or what are you guys um, doing with that? Uh, yeah, the, the label has moontooth.org. Uh, there'll be more like merch and stuff on there when the album starts to drop, but uh, oh, okay. in a couple of weeks, but uh, yeah, the band camp's cool. That's still all just like run by me. That's all like our merch supply. But yeah, oh, okay. you, it, it doesn't matter, you know, moontooth.org, you know, just tell people to, just search for us. They'll, they'll find it. <laughs> Fig- figure it out. I gotcha. But your Gramercy show was good. Everything was like awesome. Yeah, it was sick. I mean, if, I think if it had happened a couple of days later, it would have got canceled. But uh, <gasps> oh my god! Um, all things considered, it was really awesome, and the lineup was awesome. Asteroid is so good. Johnny Booth is so good. Husbandry is so good. Uh, the opening band, Thought Crimes, that was supposed to play, is amazing too. But uh, they ended up uh, having it drop the night before because of Omicron. Mm. It's just like a new way that we have to operate. I know. That sucks, man. That's just, it's so weird that you got to think about these stupid things you can't even control. But yeah, I mean, that was pretty risky throwing out the Gramercy show in the city for, for you know, because you don't know what the hell is going to happen. With the, well, when we know, booked it. Thing. When we booked it, it was everything was looking pretty good. Everybody was getting mm-hmm. vaccinated. It's just that around the holidays, you know, that end of December, everything sort of took a nosedive. Yeah, me and Carly, we wanted to get into the city, start doing city shows and stuff. And they're like, you know what? We don't really know what's going on. No, it's very tough right now. Yeah, so we're like, you know, let's just hold off until after winter because it's probably everyone's just kind of like. Oh, yeah. Definitely being... the next couple of months are going to be weird. Yeah, so we're like, you know, let's just wait until like April, May, and then we'll we'll get in there. We'll just keep writing shit, doing what we do. Right on. Keep doing everything you can, pushing, and you know, you work hard. And just put the right energy out there, and things come to you. Hopefully, um, but uh, yeah, it takes it takes an army for sure. Yeah, and a lot of uh, fucking just perseverance and just. Uh, digging it out you know it's easy to quit because there's so much stuff you got to come over like you know get through to get to the other side and 
you just kind of got to stick it out and as much as humanly possible. And it's weird because when you talk to like younger bands and stuff, you know, um, you know, when you're doing stuff with exemption into, you know, social media wasn't nearly what it's like today, you know, like the, the, oh, and it was still like, the focus is a grind. Like the only thought you get in the van, you go and you do your thing and you dig it out. Now it's kind of weird. It's like, there's like another message being sent where it's kind of like almost like a, like a fake message of, Oh, well you could be a, an influencer. You could, you could get social media fame and kind of like get big in a, in a minute. Um, yeah, your job is now to give people a little serotonin boost on their phones for five seconds. And it doesn't work for bands. It really doesn't. You know, it's like, you got to get out there and fucking do it. Um, we were just on the phone with this dude from the label uh, 50Q in um, Sid Riggs. And Sid uh, was known, he worked on like Seether, the Amy Lee song, Broken. And he uh, he's a drummer... I believe. Oh, you know um, Rob Halford's two band? Yeah. Yeah, so he was the drummer. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, he worked with, like, John, and I think John Five was in that band, too. Um, so he's worked with a lot of, like, uh, Saliva. He's worked with a lot of bands as a songwriter and a drummer and, and all that kind of stuff. He said the same fucking thing. Like, he said, he was like, dude, it's just... Working. You got to talk to people, and, you know, you just got to make it work that way. In the rock metal world, it's it's not going to be a social media game. I can't, I, like, there's no reason why Moon Tooth should not be, like, opening up for Megadeth and why you shouldn't be touring with Mastodon. You guys are just, you're, you're right there. Thanks, man. I think that, uh, yeah. I think that we'll hopefully kick the door open again with this new record. I, I have no doubt, you know, you'll be on, like, a Madison Square Garden stage. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. That, that means a lot. And, uh, you know, keep pumping out those, like, uh, pint glasses, too. Those Moontooth pint glasses. You have one of those? No, I, I want one, but they're always sold out. I'll, I think I might have a few. I'll send, you, I'll send you one. Oh, no shit. That'd be awesome. Yeah, because I saw, um, I went to go look, and I saw on the band camp that they were sold out. Yeah, I believe I found a box the other day. I just haven't Ooh, put them back on there. Some, a secret stash. Yeah. I'm like, I have to go back to Long Island to do merch now, so it's a more of a process. But I was, I was in. We have a lot of inventory nowadays. I was doing your thing uh, a couple of years ago myself. I had my living room filled with like shirts and old mailing and all sorts of shit, and it's it's a lot, but it's 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 rewarding though because it's cool because you're mailing it out to all these different people all over the world, and you're like, wow, this is fucking crazy that I'm actually doing this. Yeah, definitely. I actually have a weird joy of going to the post office it's like a happy place for me <laughs> i started knowing my mailman like the the dudes at the post office are like hey man you're back who are you mailing to now and i come i come in with like 10 packages of like oh this is going like this way and there all those places and, um it's it's crazy where you start from like you know a garage and a no-name band and you're just dicking around in high school or something and all of a sudden you're mailing shit all over the world you know it's yeah Hey, I remember going to the post office and mailing Moontooth stuff to Chile, and uh, the guy at the, the 
the guy working the desk was just like, I, this address is not right. <laughs> we had to like, uh. get on my phone and like figure it out. We figured it out together and sent a CD to Chile. It's like, this is crazy. This, you know, it just, it's a nice little, it's a nice feeling. You know, it's like, um, that's really like the victory that you want is that like, all right, this means enough for somebody to order this from a whole nother part of the world. And that's, you know, that's what it's all about. Yeah, you no, want, I agree. You want to push as hard as you can, but really at the end of the day, it's like you're making music that makes a couple of people happy. That's what it's about. Yeah, totally, man. And uh, keep it up. Let me know what's going on with you guys always. And uh, locally, I'd love to come out and see you guys. Uh, hopefully it'll be post-COVID or at least when no one gives a shit about COVID anymore. You guys are awesome. You know, I, I can't wait to you know, keep hearing your shit. I listen to it all the time, throw in my gym mixes and everything. And, uh, I tell everybody, tell everyone about it. You know, I let everyone know, check out Moontooth. Cause like our drummer was, so it was funny. We were playing with our drummer earlier and I was like, dude, you gotta listen to this shit. And he's like, and I played it. And it's like, Oh fuck, this is awesome. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I really like this actually. <laughs> and, uh, there's no reason why any metal, dude would not like this you know well thanks man thank you for uh thank you for having me on and for just you know supporting the band in any way it really means a lot yeah for sure i mean i just kind of just trying to shed some light you guys have definitely moved you set the bar high you know because you are technically uh you know a band who you know dug it out of a garage you have no like real connections to anyone you just did it the way you do it of talent and passion and everything like that and i kind of just want to like shed light for other bands trying to do it and be like hey listen this is what they did you know and this is what they say and uh it is what it is <laughs> you know you kind of have to do it yeah man it's a you know it's out of love if, you, if none of us uh if any one of us didn't love doing this it would not have lasted this long i know for sure otherwise you guys fucking kill each other and that'd be the end of it for sure <laughs> all right nick um thanks for taking the call talking everything it's really cool i haven't talked to you in like years yeah mickey it's good to, it's good to hear from you and uh you, and, guitar... and carly if she's still there thank you guys yeah. for having me yeah anytime man and your guitar playing is amazing the whole band sounds awesome the new music is great i can't wait to see what comes out after that and toys you'll end up on i know uh you guys will fucking well, you'll, you'll you'll be killing it within the next couple of years. I know I'll be seeing you on some big-ass fucking stages, for sure. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Anytime. Um, all right, so, Nick, peace out. I'll talk to you soon, all right, man? All right, Mickey. Thanks, man. All right, no problem.